Now this morning, as we share together, I would like for us to focus in on a particular truth that all of us are so very, very well acquainted with, and yet I wonder how much we really believe this truth. I wonder if you can guess what it is we're going to talk about this morning. As I was reading through the latter chapters of the book of Isaiah, this word captured my attention. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people. Speak comfortably unto them. Uh, cry unto them. And then I read a little farther. This was Isaiah 40, verse 1, of course. God wants us to be a comfortable people. And then the prophet said, well, what shall I cry? Which was, of course, a very good question. What shall I cry? And he said, behold your God. In Isaiah 40, verse 9, behold your God. That is, uh, let them know something more of me. Let them understand more of who I am of what I want to be to them, what I want to do for them, how I feel about them. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. And I really believe that the greatest amount of comfort that can come to us is when we really, really behold him. There are some essentials to this comfortable life which I would like to draw our attention to this morning, and then we want to focus in on a particular aspect of this. One essential to a comfortable life is to have a correct understanding of who God is. We read in John 17, the Lord Jesus is saying there, I pray that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. A correct understanding of who God is. Now, it might be that you're thinking right now, oh, I know all about that. And yet, you know, I find so many well-taught, well-informed Christians have inaccurate thoughts about God. Sometimes, we think of him as a hard taskmaster. Sometimes we might think of him as a stern judge or as a demanding, selfish, harsh parent. But if we have these pictures, these ideas of God, then the first thing that needs to take place in order to have a comfortable life is to correct our understanding of who God is really is, because he isn't like this. And then a second thing, in order to be a comfortable person, we have to have an active trust, an active confidence in him. Isaiah 43, 10. You are my witnesses. You are my servants. I have chosen you that you might know and believe me. It's one thing to know about God, but it's another thing to have an active, restful, trusting belief in the living God and experiencing then that joy 
that piece. And then a third essential that I want especially to draw to our attention this morning. It's very important that we have right goals, correct aspirations. Some people aspire after wisdom. Some people aspire after power, might, and they think to achieve in these areas is ultimate achievement, success. Others aspire after riches, to gain riches, wealth. Then that is really being successful. But God says, Jeremiah 9:24, He that glorious, let him glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, that I execute loving kindness, justice, and righteousness in the earth. He delights in loving kindness, showing forth his loving kindness. God wants his people to be a comfortable people. And the greatest source of comfort is to know him, that is, to know his name, to know his nature, to know his character. And this morning, we're going to especially focus in on one special aspect of his nature, of his character. You've heard of this many, many times, but I trust that God, by his Holy Spirit, will, in a fresh, new, and wonderful way, write it afresh indelibly upon your heart and mine. Jeremiah 9, 24. Let them know that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness. In fact, I delight to exercise loving kindness. I delight to show forth my love. Do you know that God loves you this morning just like he loves Jesus Christ? The same kind of love, the same kind of unconditional, unfailing, unlimited love. The Lord has appeared of old, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, and with loving kindness have I drawn thee. How much does God love us? As I read this paragraph, you do a little evaluative thinking. Do you think this is over-exaggerated, or do you think it's really true? Here it is. Nothing you do or fail to do, and nothing about you will ever affect the love of God for you when I owe it. You can turn your back on him. You can spit in his face. You can say that you will have nothing to do with him, but God still loves you. Just as much as when you came to him and accepted his beloved son as your savior, God loves you. If you fail him as a child of God, he still loves you. Nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. Do you think that's accurate? Or is it a little bit over-exaggerated? No, it's not over-exaggerated. It's accurate. How do we know? Because God says so in his word, that's one evidence. A second evidence is when Jesus was down here in this earth place, 
they treated him exactly like that. And what did he say to the father about those who treated him like that? What did he say? Father, forgive them, for they don't realize what they're doing. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. No, we cannot over-exaggerate God's love. As we think of God's love, possibly you're thinking, oh, yes, yes, I, I have known this. It's nothing. In fact, um, ever since I've been very, very small, I've known this song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. Do you know Jesus Loves Me, This I Know? All right, let me ask you this. Is it for you, Jesus loves me, this I know, or is it Jesus loves me, this I know? Which is it? In other words, the essence of my question really is, is it a theological truth to you? Is it an academic fact? Or is it an experiential do you know by experience that God loves you? With an unlimited, unconditional love. Do you know that God loves you like that? But it's important for us to bask in his love. How can we comprehend God's love? It is greater than anything that we have known as far as human love is concerned. So many times, human individuals give to us conditional love and we might think that God's love is like that but God's love is not like that God's love is totally different most of the time that we're discouraged anxious frustrated worried fearful we just really aren't at that moment believing in God's love and so again, our need is to come to him afresh and just bask in his love. That is, let him fill our mind and our heart with indications of his love through his word, through circumstances in life, through people who communicate love to us. In fact, God's love is greater than even the love that your dearest and most faithful friend has toward you. You can right now think of one whom you can really trust. You know that in all the varying circumstances of life, this one will stay true to you. God's love is greater than that. Or it's even more than the most tender love that a good mother has for her child. Even for her sick child. Somehow I think that more tenderness is displayed to the sick one. It's more than this. God's love is more than the most gentle of earthly fathers display. One time when I was down at the grocery store, I saw a father getting groceries. He was pushing the grocery cart and his little daughter was sitting there in the corner of the cart. Just as they breezed past me, I heard him say to her, Julie, do you love Daddy? And she said, no. What do you think he said? I think he was so very wise. 
He said, Daddy loves jewelry, and then went on shopping for groceries. Now, it might be he could have said, Oh, Julie, come on, you know you love Daddy. Now, come on, you tell Daddy that you love him. What do you think she would have said? No. Oh, Julie, you know you love Daddy. Now, come on, tell Daddy you love him. No. He very wisely did not say that at all. Love is not coerced, you see. But he just gave her, at that moment, reassurances of his love for her. Unconditional love totally unconditioned on our performance, whatever we do, or how we feel, or how we think. Unconditional love. Sometimes we have received really confusing messages, messages that do not give a clear picture of what love is. We have received these messages from parents. We have received these messages from teachers from friends, and it seems as though love is so conditional, so dependent upon our performance. For example, one dear girl in the workshop shared that her parents provided for her physical needs, but she was sure that they didn't love her. She said, Verna, I can remember even trying to get them to just say, I love you. So I would ask them, do you love me? And they would say, yes, I love you. But that wasn't the way I wanted to hear it. Obviously, though the words were used, yet the message communicated in the voice inflection communicated rejection and didn't communicate love. Or another shares. As I was growing up, I remember longing so much for a loving family. It seemed that my family was always trying to see how much they could hurt each other. Mom and Dad argued constantly, and Dad would often lash out at us kids in his anger, saying some things that I know he really didn't mean. I remember Dad saying, at the height of his anger, that he wished that he would have put his five children in a gunny sack the day they were born and drowned them. That was the way they got rid of the unwanted kittens. So many times there are these kinds of messages from parents or from friends or from others that would lead us to think that we aren't loved. But God's love is totally in contrast. God's love is totally in contrast even to the best love that a good parent could give to his child. God is love. The most emphatic declaration of a facet of God's love is just this. God is love. Sometimes when I try to put the meaning of this across, if I'm in a classroom with a chalkboard, I'll uh, swing around, pick up a piece of chalk, hold it out, and say, what is this? And the response is what? Chalk. Then I'll take this piece of chalk, swing around, and make a mark across the chalkboard. What kind of mark is that? A chalk mark, because it was made with a piece of chalk. Isn't that profound? All right, now the parallel, though, is this. God is love. 
That is, this is his essential nature. He is made up of the essence of love. And if he makes a mark across your life, what kind of mark is it? A love mark, because God is love. For the next few minutes, I would like for us to consider a number of qualities of God's love. For example, the scripture says, God's love is unending. Having loved his own, he loved them unto the end. John 13, 1. Or this tremendous word, which we've already referred to in Jeremiah 31, 3. Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, and with loving kindness have I drawn thee. God's love is an unselfish love. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. It's an unselfish love. Total self-giving. It's an unconditional love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Unconditional love. Not even dependent upon our response to him. Nothing that we can do will merit God's love. And so, therefore, nothing that we do will turn away his love from us. It's an unconditional love. It's undeserved. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8 God, while I was a sinner sent his son out of heaven to live in this earth place for a season in order that he might redeem me and make me his child. And if he loved me like that when I was a sinner, now that I'm his child, will he love me any less? Oh, ridiculous thought. In fact, Romans 8.32 tells us, he that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also freely with him give us all things? Undeserved love. Unaffected love. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God. Do you believe that God loves you like that? With that unconditional, unlimited, eternal love of God? unaffected. It's very important that I do not allow any circumstance in life to say to me, this indicates that God does not love me. Because it's totally untrue. No circumstance of life or no situation, nothing that God allows to touch me can prove that God does not love me. God is love. God loves me. God loves you. One time, when I was in grad school, I remember I was given an assignment to study one Greek word for 25 hours. And I thought, oh, if I'm going to study one word for 25 hours, it better be a pretty good word. 
So I chose the word rejoice. And it was a good word as I began studying in this long-range assignment. I was gathering just a lot of really good ideas about this word rejoice. And then one morning in my quiet time, it was as though the Lord said to me, you've been enjoying that word rejoice, haven't you? Yes, yes, I've really been enjoying this word rejoice. But you know, your heart isn't really rejoicing. Now, that was news to me, in a sense, because it wasn't a situation where I was in deep depression or discouragement. But when he drew that to my attention that morning, I had to agree with him. You're right. My heart really isn't rejoicing. I had to end my quiet time that morning. Still, my heart was not rejoicing. I went off to the first class period, but I went with real hope, real anticipation because you see Dr. So-and-so taught that class and you could always expect a real good word from the Lord through Dr. So-and-so but do you believe when I got to class that morning I learned that Dr. So-and-so was out of town and Mr. X was going to teach the class and I thought oh no just when I needed a real good word from the Lord And it was as though the Lord said to me, Who was it you were expecting to talk to you? And I said, Oh, forgive me, Lord, for thinking you could use only Dr. So-and-so. I look to you to use Mr. X for my heart need this morning. And, of course, you know that that was the outstanding class period of that entire semester as far as I'm concerned. I'll not tell you what the topic is. Possibly you can guess what it is. That is, I'll tell you in a moment. But still, my heart was not rejoicing. A lot of good thoughts, but my heart was not rejoicing. I went on to the next class period. It was prophets. We were studying Habakkuk. There I learned that Habakkuk had some questions. He brought them to the Lord, and God answered him. That was a good thought to me. God was interested. God answered his questions. But still, my heart was not rejoicing. So I came to the end of my classes. I knew that I needed to spend an additional time alone with the Lord. So again, I came before him. And in effect, I said, Father, this morning you drew my attention to the fact that my heart really isn't rejoicing. Now, when we were studying Habakkuk, I learned that he had some questions. He brought them to you, and you answered his questions. I have a question for you, Father. Why isn't my heart rejoicing? And he said very clearly to my thoughts, using the context of the whole first class period, which was 50 minutes on how much God loves us, because you don't really, really believe that I love you. And again, I said, well, Father, that's right. I'm sure that if I really believe that you love me, my heart would be rejoicing. I have another question for you, Father. Do you love me? And he said very clearly to my thoughts, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, and with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Using this word that I had memorized earlier from Jeremiah 31.3, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, and with loving kindness have I drawn thee. And just as I realized that afternoon afresh that God loved me with this everlasting love I considered now how long is an everlasting love going to last 
How long is it going to last? You tell me. Pretty good, isn't it? An everlasting love. That's the kind of love I love you with. And just as I realized that afresh, my heart was set rejoicing in him once more. Do you have a rejoicing heart? Again, I repeat, most of the time we're discouraged, anxious, frustrated, fearful. It's because we aren't really at that moment believing in God's love, not actively believing in God's love. Oh, yes, we could say, yes, Jesus loves me, this I know. But we aren't really believing, Jesus loves me, this I know. I might tell you the sequel to the story. As I reflected back on this, I discerned just wherein I was questioning God's love. It wasn't all that clear to me at the moment, but then I realized here it was. You see, there was a tall, dark, handsome fellow on campus. My attention was drawn to him quite early in the school year. And also quite early in the school year, I began to draw God's attention to him. And I said, Father, who please you, I would just love to have the privilege of dating him. Now, I should mention this also. You see, I was totally yielded to the Lord on this point because some years previous, I had given my whole life to the Lord. I had specified this particular area, Lord, for dating, marriage, whatever is your plan. And so I just freely said, Lord, whatever you want in respect to this individual. But you know what? The weeks rolled along. The months rolled along. Men's open house. Women's open house. <laughs> and would you believe he bypassed every one of those wonderful opportunities? <laughs> and now this was not all that much on the surface. I was not all that much aware of what my inner thoughts were, but I was thinking something like this. Well, you know, I've been presenting this to the Lord for a long time, and he hasn't done anything about it. I think I can do something about it faster than this myself. <laughs> Did you ever do that? Present something to the Lord and then begin to take it back. That's what I was doing. And it was more unconscious than I was really aware that that's what I was doing. You see, I was questioning at that moment and that period of time, really, that God's love really, really covered this area of my life. Oh, yes, I could trust him, but did it cover this? It covers every area. What is the area that you are most concerned about right now? You know, God's love covers that area, too. It's not all but that area. No, it's that area, too. Isn't that wonderful? I might also share, I was dating this particular fellow in college, undergraduate school, and this is what happened. I was never really sure just how long we might continue dating because just out of the blue, he would just up and jilt me. No preparation, no explanation. I just didn't hear from him. But I also had a common girlfriend that would always let me in on the story. And I learned that when it was off with me, 
it was on with Jane. We'll call her Jane, using a fictitious name. However, she was a very real person. And so it was, during this three-year period of time, sometimes it was off with me and on with Jane, off with Jane, on with me. So I would learn also during this period of time, Father, if you want me to have them, you give them to me. But if you want Jane to have them, you give them to Jane. Also, when it was off with me, I would learn to pray as I moved over out to the mailbox, uh, Lord, if it will please you, a letter from him today. Uh, but if not, will you help me to give thanks to you anyway? And surely enough, I would move out to the mailbox, open it up, no letter. Well, thank you, Lord. Now, if it please you, a letter from him tomorrow. So I would go out to the mailbox, hopefully, anticipating a possible letter. Maybe we could get together again, and it would be on. With I would go out to the mailbox, open it up, no letter. Well, thank you, Lord. I had a lot of opportunities to give God thanks in those days. <laughs> And just to keep my surrender up to date, I would continue to say, Father, if you want me to have them, you give them to me. If you want Jane to have them, you give them to Jane. Well, would you believe one summer we were in summer school together all summer long, and it was a glorious summer, on with me, all summer long. Wonderful. Now, I'm not sure if Jane felt that it was a wonderful summer, but (laughs) it was as far as I'm concerned. But then do you know when August came, would you believe I didn't hear from him again? For no explained reason, I just didn't hear from him. The winter term, I heard from him occasionally. One time we planned to get together, but the Lord sent a big sleet storm and it hindered those plans. And then I was going to summer school the following summer. I wasn't sure whether he was going to be there or not. I hoped that he might be, and surely enough, there he was. But the second weekend of summer school, I had to go home. Now, we hadn't started dating yet. I had to go home and help my brother get married, would you believe? Now, it was fine with me that uh, my brother was getting married. That was fine. But did I have to leave campus so soon and miss any opportunity that there might be? Well, I went home, helped my brother get married on Friday night. Saturday morning, he called up and said, we're going past your college and we'd be delighted to take you back to college if you would like. I said, really? Are you kidding? I haven't been on a honeymoon in my life. (laughs) Are you sure this is all right with your wife? Yes, yes, we've talked it over. We know that you will be with us such a short time. We'll let you off, and then we'll... (laughs) Well, I was delighted because that meant I would be back on campus Saturday morning instead of Sunday night. When I got there, of course, during dinner time, I reviewed the lunch line just to see if he might be there. Those seated in the dining hall, I didn't see him. Saturday evening supper, the same situation. Sunday breakfast, I reviewed those that were in the cafeteria line, those already seated, and he wasn't there. But would you believe it happened that we went to the same church? So I got there a little early, and I just kind of watched to just make sure if he came in that I would not miss him. He didn't come in. Sunday dinner line. I knew that he would be there because all the students eat dinner. I reviewed the cafeteria line. He wasn't there. Supper, the same. Sunday evening church. 
Now, of course, you know that I did this very inconspicuously. <laughs> Monday breakfast, the same story. And would you believe, Monday after the first class, as I was going into the dormitory, there were a couple of girls who didn't know me from the previous summer standing there, and they just said to each other, I understand that John, we'll call him, has gone to Pennsylvania, and he's come back engaged. That's what I thought, too. <laughs> but I really didn't make it. I really didn't make it that obvious. I just acted as though I didn't hear a thing, went back to my room, and I said, Now, Father, I've always said, if you want me to have him, you give him to me. If you want Jane to have him, you give him to Jane. But you take... Well, now, Father, I don't know if I heard... In fact, I think I didn't hear this. But if I heard what I think I might have heard, uh, it might be that he's gone to Pennsylvania, and Pennsylvania was a state all right, and they called him the right name, and he's engaged. Uh, Father, if that is true, I still affirm, if you want me to have him, you give him to me. If you want Jane to have him, you give him to Jane. But you take all of these feelings that I have for him away. That afternoon... I was innocently sitting at the library table. Would you believe tall, dark, handsome came right across the table, sat down, and among other things said I was gone over the weekend, missed this particular class. Could you review me in what you have covered? And so I offered to. I said, yes, I would be glad to. But then I thought, now he isn't engaged. Because if he were engaged, he wouldn't be asking me to review, of all people. Well, maybe he is. As we were walking out of the library, I said, Say, if these rumors that I hear about you are true, then you're in a position for me to congratulate you. He looked at me, smiled significantly, and said, Well, I guess they're true. I said, Well, most hearty congratulations. Now, do you think I said that with my will or my emotions? <laughs> but from that moment... I was free from those harassing feelings. And you see, for me, on that particular occasion, his response was just a further unveiling of the will of God for me. And if indeed I was committed to the will and way of God, why shouldn't I say, in effect, thank you to him for showing me more of your way and congratulations to him? We did get together that night, and we had a good time, a good free time together. But it's important for us to believe and to know that the love of God, the love God has for us, covers every aspect of our life. It covers this area, too. And if we're trusting in him, then we can rest confident in him that he will do what is the very, very best for us in every area of life.